Well, good morning, Redeemer. We are glad that you have joined us for this time of worship and the opportunity that we have to draw near to our God and to uh, praise him for who he is. If you are visiting with us this morning, we want to give you a very special welcome, and uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, we have a coffee time right after this and hope you can meet, meet some new friends. Uh, another thing we encourage you to do is to uh, text the word welcome to the number that's on the screen there. Uh, or if you prefer paper, there is a connect card uh, in the pocket in the seat in front of you. And you can just fill that out, put it in the offering plate. Uh, the pastors love to take people to coffee and just get to know you a little bit better. If that's something you're interested in, then, then please give us that opportunity. And uh, we also have, uh, right after our uh, Sunday school today, uh, we have a young adult uh, fellowship lunch, and uh, this is for uh, both single and also young married couples, but those without kids. And uh, maybe if you're visiting here and you fall in that category, uh, whether you, you, you didn't even, if you're here for the first time, then you didn't RSVP, uh, but you're certainly welcome to stay after, meet a few new friends, and hope that you can make a connection uh, there as well. Uh, we have uh, coming up also today our Redeemer Open House. Now, it is full for today, uh, but if you have already signed up for that uh, and you need directions, uh, Janet Champ will be over by the Welcome Center and uh, able to provide those to you if you're not sure where they live, and I hope you enjoy that, that meal today. Uh, we try to do those each month. If you're new here, we'd love to have you be a part of the next one, uh, so just be looking for that in the bulletin for coming weeks. Uh, we have... Uh, coming up this week, our uh, Women Concert of Prayer on November uh, 14 and 15, and uh, just hope that you can be a part of that and, and enjoy that time uh, praying together. Uh, we also have a uh, special Thanksgiving Eve uh, service that we do as a church. This is on the Wednesday night, uh, November 22nd at 6.30. Uh, it's just really a wonderful time for the body of Christ to come together and to hear uh, just songs, time in God's Word, but also testimonies uh, of what God has been doing in our lives over this last year. And you'll have an opportunity to be an open mic uh, if you'd like to share a testimony. But I'm also looking for two other people who'd like to kind of begin one of those times. I have one person. I need two more. Uh, so it's just you already have something you want to say, and you just want to be the first one to get up for that particular section and share that. If you are willing to be that person, please come and talk to me. I'd love to have your help uh, with that. Uh, after our uh, morning worship service, we will have our choir uh, meeting uh, here in the sanctuary at 11 o'clock. Uh, we will not have adult Sunday school today uh, or the next couple of weeks. The next time we'll have adult Sunday school is going to be on November 29 uh, when Pastor Jeff is going to be teaching about how Christians should view Israel today. So November 29 uh, will be the next adult Sunday school class. So that's all my announcements. So let's take this moment and prepare for our time of getting coming before our God.
Why do we come to worship? Some would say perhaps we come to seek God's blessing, and that's true. But we also have an opportunity, as the psalmist reminds us, that we can come and bless the Lord as well. We have opportunity to sing His praise and to bless His holy name because He alone is worthy of praise for His steadfast love and His mercy. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, let us stand together as a congregation to bless his holy name. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come because we want to bless your holy name. We exalt you above all things. We acknowledge uh, that you are greater uh, than all, that there are no gods that exist but you, and you are worthy uh, of the worship of your people. And we ask that your spirit would do a great work in our hearts this morning, that you would draw us near to yourself, uh, that you would remind us of our incredible need for you, but also of the sufficiency of your grace. And we thank you that we can find our rest in Christ because he alone is our firm foundation. Amen.
Thank you, and you may be seated. The soul that has put his or her trust completely in our Lord Jesus Christ can have that confidence that you will not be shaken, even though the world may forsake us, our Lord and Savior will not forsake. And so that promise gives us the hope and the confidence that we can come before the throne of grace, that we can come with boldness and with honesty, that we can bring to the Lord our hearts because He knows it anyway, right? There's nowhere we can hide. He knows exactly what we've done and how we've done it, or what we've thought and how we've thought it. And so we come to Him knowing that He is the one who can guide our thoughts into a genuine confession of our sin. And uh, so to guide us in that, we have uh, our Ten Commandments series. We are on the Eighth Commandment, uh, starting that this morning. And uh, so I'll read the commandment, and then we will confess uh, what duties are required of that from our confession uh, of faith. And so hear uh, now the word of the living God, who has commanded us, saying, You shall not steal. Now to answer this question, let us recite together, What are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? The duties required in the Eighth Commandment are truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce between man and man, rendering to everyone everyone his due, restitution of goods unlawfully detained from their rightful owners, giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others. Moderation of our judgments, wills, and affections concerning worldly goods, a provident care and study to get, keep, use, and order these things that are necessary and suitable for the sustaining of our nature and suitable to our condition, a lawful calling, and diligence in it, frugality, avoiding unnecessary lawsuits, and suretyship, or other like engagements, and endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. Definitely a few things in there uh, that we can confess to our God. Perhaps we don't recognize all the time how just the commandment, don't steal, that one was really short, right? But then unpacking all that is encompassed in that as far as the duties that are required, the the sins of omission, right? The ones that we normally forget about when we omit uh, one of those uh, duties that are required of us, right? They they happen uh, so quickly and so easily. And so let us go to our God as we confess in silent prayer. Father, we acknowledge that you have created all things, and therefore you are the only true owner of all things. We are grateful for your generosity that you lend to us all that we possess for a period of time, 
Sometimes you give, sometimes, Lord, you take away, and yet your name is blessed and holy. Lord, we are uh, asking you to help our minds to truly understand what the duties are for us to be diligent in our labors uh, in a way that would honor you, uh, Lord, as we slack at work, as we do things that are uh, distracted from what, what our actual duties are. Lord, we know that we are stealing from our employers. We know that we are falling short in what you have called us to do, and you, you alone see some of those things. And so we would just ask that your spirit would forgive us and that you would overcome uh, those tendencies, Lord, in whatever ways that we are not seeking to further uh, the wealth and prosperity of our neighbors, Lord, that we perhaps are hoarding to ourselves, that we would be those that are trying to build up others, helping them to do their duty and helping them to accomplish what is needed for their own families. Lord, help us uh, for those that have employees to help further what they can do to, to grow and be successful in their work. And uh, all that we can do, Father, to honor you as the one that possesses all so that we would uh, build up one another. We pray it for Jesus' most uh, holy name. Amen. The Lord gives to us his assurance of our pardon uh, from Psalm 28. Bless be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I will give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Well, it is incredible mystery how our God leads us and how our God blesses us, and yet we get to praise his name for that as we stand together.
Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, we have much to be thankful for. We have often forgotten the many blessings that you have provided for us. In order to remind ourselves the magnitude of these gifts, we should ask ourselves several questions. What would this life look like without the holy sacred scriptures? We wouldn't know of your faithfulness and steadfast love. We wouldn't know of the struggles of the great saints of old. We wouldn't know that there is a great hope that lies beyond this world. What would the world look like if you saved us based on our merits? We would be in a continuous fight to prove ourselves to you, never knowing if it was enough. Heaven would be a desolate place. What would this world look like if you didn't protect your church until the end of the days as you told Peter? We wouldn't be hearing the preaching of the word, praising your name, experiencing the fellowship of the saints. What would the world look like without the power of prayer? We would be more prideful. We wouldn't have the comfort of casting our cares upon you. We would be people of despair without hope. What would this world look like without Jesus? Without the cross? But you did provide your son. You did provide the cross for our sins. You did give us your word. And you have given us the power of prayer. You have saved us on the mercy of your character, not on our works. Thank you seems almost too limited of a word to express our thanksgiving. But we do take this time to give you great thanks for your great gifts that you have given to us. May your name be honored and glorified in today's service. And we pray this all in our beloved Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
This is the time in our morning service where we come before our God in prayer. It's a time of intercession for each other, but also for our community and for our world. Many of you noted that yesterday was September 11. That's fairly obvious because today is the 12th. But on September 11, or rather November 11 of each year, not only in the United States, but in other parts of the Western world, we have what's known as Remembrance Day. In England, I believe it's known as Poppy Day. This date is remembered because on the 11th hour, the 11th month, in 1918, the end of World War I is commemorated. None of us were around at that point, but if you had been, you would have believed that the end of World War I was the end of all war. In fact, it was known as the war to end all wars. Only tragically, we know that's not what happened. Only a couple of decades later was World War II. And this morning as we sit here, there's a war raging in the Middle East where people are dying. Until the time that Christ comes again, the Lord has said that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And as much as we desire as a human race for there to be peace and prosperity in our world We also are called by our God to pray for our world because that peace has not yet come. We pray for peace and yet say together, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. It's also helpful to note that we have people who have served specifically in the military forces. On the prayer request sheet that is sent out at the end of each week, we note those who are serving in our armed forces. This morning we remember Eric Bull. Chris Heisinger and Zach McMaster, who are serving in various places in our armed forces. If you have served in the armed forces at some point in your life, we also note you this morning and are thankful for the service that you have offered. Paul says to Timothy that we should pray for those in authority over us so that we may live a quiet and peaceful life. And we're glad for the contribution you have made so that we can be here to worship our God freely. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, the great vision that is laid in your word is of a time in which the lamb will lie down with the one who would threaten it. The small child would have no need to fear putting his hand into a hole in the ground. There will only be freedom and joy and peace. The Old Testament prophets look forward to that day. They told the people of Israel to long for the day when that would come. And Isaiah prophesied about that specifically as the Israelites wasted away in a foreign land. They recognized that they were sojourners and aliens in a place that was not their home. The place that you had promised to the Old Testament people that was full of the good things of this world, where there was milk and honey, where the vineyards produced fruit, where there was no threat of enemies, that land was long gone. And when we read in the New Testament and Peter calls us, likewise, strangers and aliens in this world, it is not because we are inhuman or because we don't naturally belong to this place we do. We can rightly confess that this is our home. Our communities are the places where we belong. The neighborhoods that we are placed in are neighborhoods that we love. We love the people who are there. We're thankful for those relationships. The city that we live in is a city that you've called us to. 
Jeremiah told the people of Israel as they were in captivity to go ahead and settle and to make their home there because it was a place that God had called them to. And Lord, you've called us to the same thing. This nation that we belong to is our nation. It is a place where we are and we're grateful for it. But Lord, may we never confuse our identity with our community or with our country or with our culture. Because while we are busy and while you've called us to unfold the creation and the culture in which we live, our final identity lies in a place in which all things are made right. And Lord, that explains the longing of our souls. Because we look at a world that is fractured in so many ways. There's so much heartache. Our hearts are troubled by what we see in the Middle East. Lord, to read and to listen to and to watch the injustice that is happening in that place. The terrorism that has occurred. Lord, it is horrible. It is rightfully, biblically, theologically, anthropologically. It is inhuman. It is wrong. It must grieve you, Lord, as the one who made every single person, who formed them in your own image. And yet you have called us as your people to pray for peace and to our, do our best to seek it in this world. This morning we note those that we have already read and those who have been unnamed but are here this morning who have served in the preservation of that peace. We are grateful for them. Maybe it is those that we have known personally, like my own father who served for, during the Vietnam era. Maybe it is a grandfather who served during World War II. Maybe it is a brother or a cousin who is serving now. Maybe it is someone who served during the Gulf War. Maybe it is someone who is still serving. Until you come back and all things are made right, it is necessary, according to your word, that there would be government and the government would erect protections for its nations. And Lord, we are thankful that you have given us a place and a time in which we can be free to worship your name. And this morning we ask that that would always be true. That as we watch our children and grandchildren in the third and fourth generation, that this would always be a place in which the gospel of Jesus Christ can be boldly proclaimed. We ask that you would prevent anything that would restrain the open worship of your name from occurring. Instead, we ask that there would be greater freedom, greater ability for us to worship you, and that all that you have made would experience that same freedom. We pray against this morning the principalities and powers, those that would restrict and seek to restrict the freedom that you have created man for. We're grateful Lord, that you have promised that one day all things will be made right. That there is coming a day in which Christ will return in the clouds of heaven to the shout of those who receive him, to the blast of the horn, and we will see our Savior face to face. And then the King of kings and the Lord of lords will make all things right. There will be no anger. There will be no bitterness. There will be no desire to kill all things will be made right. And this morning we pray for patience while we wait and also courage that you would help us to be engaged in the places and the opportunities that you give us. 
whether it is serving in military forces, whether it is being in our community and being active in the places where we see those opportunities, for those who, of us who serve in local governments, for those who serve in the state and the federal system, Lord, in every place in which your people are, you've called us to be busy. And we pray that we might do so in a way that reflects that you are creator and that you are redeemer. Lord, we also ask this morning that you would help us to see the broadness of your word as we come to it in just a moment. There is this great lie that we are told that your word only applies to a narrow segment of our lives, only to our religious time, only to church time. And then in the rest of life, all those other things must be the more important in the way that we view life. But if you are our Savior and Lord, if Jesus is our King, then we humbly ask you that you would give us a view of the world that is shaped by the kingship of Jesus. Not just when we read our Bibles or when we're praying or when we are in worship, but we would see the call of Jesus Christ to see him also in our families more generally, in the way that we do our work, in our pursuit of art and literature, in the way that we think about politics, the way that we view cultural questions, that all of that would be formed by obedience to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, because in those areas we often meander, we wonder, we struggle. And it is our desire, Lord, that you would help us to see more clearly what it means to serve you in the fullness of our being. And now again we ask as we open your word that your spirit would be here. Before Jesus ascended, he said that he would send his spirit after him who would lead us into the truth that Jesus proclaimed while he was here. We wait upon that promise. In fact, we ask that you would fulfill it here in a powerful way. Then the words that we're about to hear and the words that I would speak, the Spirit of Christ would be the one who is active. That we would hear the voice of Jesus who said in the Gospel of John, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. A hireling, a stranger, they do not hear, but they hear me. Lord, may that be who we hear this morning. And we ask this all as we come to you. In the name of our Shepherd King Jesus, Amen. We're turning this morning to John chapter 11. Again, if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles for your use, as I've said on previous mornings. If you're new here or you're new to the Christian faith entirely and you don't have a Bible, um, we'd be happy to give you one. The Gospel of John is the fourth Gospel. Each one of those Gospels records the life of Jesus, and they're complementary in nature. And so the Gospel of John especially includes some things that are not found in the other Gospels, And this morning we're considering John chapter 11. We'll be reading the first 44 verses of this story. It's the death of one of Jesus' friends, and it is incredible the way in which our Savior responds to this death. So John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, the Old Testament says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. This is His enduring Word. Give attention to it now. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas the twin, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this in account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of Christ. May he bless it this morning. What is true about this passage, friends, is it seems like the timing is all off. The timing of what happens in this passage seems all off. And the timing question is raised very early in this passage when Jesus does not go to a friend who is dying. He receives word in time. He could have gone to his friend who was dying, but instead he didn't. Imagine this, you call me on the phone and you say, Pastor, my husband is dying in the hospital. If I were to say to you, give me a couple of days, you would say, Pastor, that's not right. We want you to come now. Please come. Why is the timing off? The answer to that question is, in fact, this passage. As strange as it may sound to your ears, if we can understand the timing of this passage, we can also understand what it is that it says to us about Jesus. Although I read the whole passage, most of what I'm going to say this morning, because my time is limited, it always feels like my time is way too limited, I'll be looking specifically at verses 21 through 26, when Jesus interacts with one of the sisters of the man who died, And he explains to her what it means for her and us to trust in him. And if that sounds a bit removed and this introduction doesn't quite catch you, as strongly as others might, let me ask you a couple of other things this morning. Where are the places in your life where the timing seems to be just off? What I don't mean is to refer to you if you're waiting for him to pop the question eventually. That's not the timing I'm talking about. Instead, I'm asking the question of timing where you're waiting for the Lord, for God to work in your life. Or to ask it at the highest level, does it seem out of accord for you that the God who claims to be all-powerful is waiting to do the thing that you would think would bring him greatest glory? Or to be rather practical... Are you telling God that your brother is dying and God is not giving his help now? Why is this timing off? As we walk through this passage, I want to think about two things about this timing. And they're very simple things. In fact, this whole sermon is very, very simple. The two things I want you to think about are the expectation and the realization. Those are two very easy words to remember. And by the end, I will tell you why those two words are so significant in understanding the timing of this passage and what it says about Jesus. First, this expectation, that comes throughout the beginning part of this passage, but it's highlighted in verses 21 and 22. Jesus' friend friend Lazarus is ill, very ill, and word is sent to Jesus that he should come quickly. 
He was sort of like the call you might receive if you have someone in the hospital, an elderly parent, and the call comes to you, and the call is you should come quickly because your parent is near death. You wouldn't wait around. Similarly, as I noted, if I'm your pastor, I'm not going to wait around to come to you in the hospital. I'm going to come as soon as I possibly can. But Jesus does not go. He waits. He stays for two days. By the time he arrives at the grave, Lazarus has been dead for four whole days. This is hardly a timely, a timely response to the expectation of this family. So you can imagine how interesting the conversation is between Jesus and Martha then when Jesus finally comes. She's raising a double expectation in her mind. First, there is the expectation that Jesus would want to come. Why wouldn't he? She says, if you would have come, if you would have come, things would be different. Doesn't Jesus love his friend? Doesn't he care about his, this family? Why doesn't he answer? The expectation is that Jesus cares enough to show up in the hour of need. What went wrong? But secondly, below the surface, there's also the expectation in her words about what Jesus would do when he arrived. Martha believed that Jesus could heal her brother. He says, if you, she says, if you had been here, he would not have died. You could have healed him. Why does she say that? Because she knows that he has healed others. If you go back two chapters into chapter 9, here's the healing of the man born blind, a man who is blind from birth. Of all, of all the spectacular things that Jesus is able to do, here it is. He takes a man who is born blind, his parents testify, he has never seen in his entire life, and Jesus opens his eyes. Of course, Martha says, if you would have only come, Jesus, you could have healed our brother before he died. This is the expectation that not only Jesus loves us, but he will apply his power in a way that we need. So let me highlight this again. I'm belaboring it a bit, but that's okay. It may seem rather confusing to us. Why does Jesus not go right away? It would have been simple to heal this man. Jesus has the power to do it. Even more, Martha has confidence that Jesus is able to do it. Maybe in your mind you think it was because they didn't believe enough. If Martha had really believed or Lazarus had really believed in Jesus, Jesus would have healed him. That's not the problem. She does believe. She goes even further. She confesses that if Jesus wants to, he can raise her brother from the dead now. He has the power to do that. That is incredible. That is an amazing power. There is no lack of confidence in Jesus here. It is not that she does not know who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. Instead, there is something else. Why doesn't Jesus act? Why doesn't he provide for the people he cares for and those that he has the ability to help? Why doesn't he help those in need? Verses 25 and 26 help us understand. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The answer to this question about the delay in the timing begins with another one of these I am statements. If you've been here for previous sermons, you'll know that Jesus gives these I am statements in chapter 6, verse 35, in chapter 8, verse 12, in chapter 10, verse 9, and 10, verse 11, where he compares himself to the shepherd and to the door. He will again in chapter 14, verse 6 say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he repeats an I am statement in chapter 15, verse 5. This is one of the very unique and powerful ways in which John reveals to us the reasons why we should be compelled to believe in Jesus. Remember, John, the gospel is written to convince you that Jesus is worthy of your confidence. Do not hang back. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Run to Jesus. John is arguing he is capable of bearing your trust. And the I am statements, one of the key ways in which John makes that argument, every time there is an I am statement, John is revealing something about the divinity of Jesus. And now he says in verse 24 here, or 25 rather, I am the resurrection and the life. What is Jesus revealing about himself here? Notice, as many have noted, that Jesus does not say, I bring life and I will bring your resurrection. No, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Small difference, but a notable difference. What's the notable difference? Jesus is internalizing the power to do things that are beyond our ability to really understand. That is, he has the ability to bring life and to bring re-life in a way that no one else is capable. At the very beginning of the book of John, in John 1 verse 4, it says, in him, that is the word, was life, and that life was the light of men. What John means there and here is that Jesus is the one who is uniquely capable of bringing life. In a world in which there is so much struggle and death, then and now, John is saying Jesus is the one who brings life and restoration of life. He brings hope where there is only darkness and pain. Jesus himself is the one who brings this life and this new life because he has given his life in our place. As the Gospel of John unfolds, we read about Jesus going to Calvary, to the place of condemnation where life ended, where the Romans took life. Instead, Jesus gave his life there, and a few days later, brought to life again, so that his claim that he brings life and new life we see born out in history in his own death and life. And Jesus is not only the bringer of life and resurrection in the future, he was and is the one who brings that life and resurrection. He is the provider, he is the victor over, the, over death, not only in the future, but now and always. If that seems much, I want to remind you of two passages 
In Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, the Apostle Paul says that very specifically. That Jesus is the one through whom we have life and resurrection or life and new life. And this is what he is impressing upon Martha in verses 25 and 26. That he is the resurrection and the life. He is driving deep into her soul, into ours this morning, the reality that our Savior has the ability to bring that life and new life like no one else can. He has that power, he has that ability, as certain as he was standing before her, he had the power to bring that life again. And at the end of verse 25, into verse 26, Jesus gives two important implications of this power from Martha. And here is where I want you to really sit with me for a moment and understand this text. At the end of verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Hear this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, in just a little bit in this passage, we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That is truly remarkable. If I can tell you how remarkable it is, I would ask you not simply to think about your own experience. I am confident no one here has ever seen someone who is dead come back to life. It doesn't happen. You know that. Do you also know at the moment at which Jesus is speaking To Martha and Mary and the crowds and his disciples who are watching, no one then, as far as I can tell, had ever seen anyone else brought to life either. The idea that Jesus would bring Lazarus back to life is sort of passe in our minds. We know how the story goes. If you've been in church a while, you're like, Jesus says he is the resurrection and life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And we go like, sure, because the next thing that happens is that Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. And we know the end of the story. He dies and comes back to life. Of course Jesus is able to do that. Pause a moment. And watch what happens in this passage from the eyes of those who had never seen it. And be amazed with the claim here. This is an incredible claim. That if whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It seems like a paradox. That we could die and yet live. And not only does Jesus bring this life for Lazarus, but the Bible is full of the truth that Jesus brings this life for all those who believe in him. If I can put it very simply, the story of the scripture is that God is with his people always. When the people of Israel wrestled with the fear of entering the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God says to them, I am with you. The psalmist applies the eternal presence of God to all times during our life. You remember Psalm 23 verse 4, where it says, even through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear for I am with you. I am present with you. Or think of Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, 
where Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The very last book in the Bible in Revelation in four separate places, it talks about a second death which we, those who believe in Christ, are not subject to. This second death is the one that Jesus says here, we will never die. It is this eternal separation, hell itself. It is a separation from God and His goodness that Jesus has already endured for every single one of those who believe in Him. Jesus has taken that punishment upon Himself so that in the future I can say with confidence, not only... Will every single person who believes in Christ rise again? You will have life that never ends, but you will also never suffer a second death that is separation from your God. No matter what the future holds, those two things are absolutely true. Do you believe it? Though you may die, you shall live. You will rise again, and you will never suffer eternal estrangement from your God. I want you to really, really think about that carefully. Some of us who are older, I put myself in that category now that I've passed 50, and I'm getting the letters from AARP. Can you believe it? I think more about the rest of my life than I did when I was 30. <laughs> 30, I thought about plans. 50, I'm thinking about how do I use my years well. For those of you who are even a little bit further on in life, more gray hair than I even have, you think about that and more often I'm guessing. And if you have a serious disease, maybe one your doctor says you'll have for the rest of your life, you think about that, don't you? about what your life is like, maybe you're in a circumstance that as far as you can tell is never going to change. Well, here are a couple of things I want you to know are absolutely certain about your future. No matter what else happens in your life, Jesus assures Mary and Martha and all of us today, you will rise again into a world and a life that is absolutely perfect. And you will never suffer separation from your God. Does that encourage you this morning? Are you filled with joy for that reality? God holds it before you. And Jesus promises that in the moment in which this family grieves. As he also gives that to you. But, if I can be so bold, that's not really the punch of this passage. The punch comes in verse 26, where Jesus says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, what an incredibly strange thing to say at a moment at which these sisters were grieving the death of their brother. I've just introduced you to the idea that there is a second death in the Bible that as believers we will never die. Jesus is referring to that directly. He is telling us, that the companionship of our God, that God with us, the one who has promised to come and who has come and continues to be with us by His Spirit, that promise is with us always. 
We are never separated from that in the life to come or in this life now. And this new life that God gives to us by the Spirit of Christ is a life that remains and endures and shall never pass away. So that this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can say to you, even though there will come a day where your body will die, your spirit never will. There is never a moment where you will be separated from your Savior Jesus. As certainly as he has given you new life now, so he will preserve that life now and for eternity. You will never be gone. I know the fear of separation. Many of us live in that fear. That our family will leave us, our spouse will leave us, that our friends will abandon us. And the reason we have those fears is because we've seen others who've experienced them or maybe we've experienced them ourselves. But Jesus says... He will never leave those who belong to him. There will never be separation. He will always be with us. In this life, in this this life through eternity. It's very interesting that Jesus makes this application both for eternity and for now. For eternity, it gives us hope and confidence that we will rise again. For now, it gives us also a sense of boldness and courage because in this life, we never have to fear separation from our Savior. The great fear of death is that separation. The reason we mourn is because of one we love so much. We're not going to eat Thanksgiving dinner with. For those of you who've experienced life and death recently, Those holidays are so painful because the place that we had set for the one who is so dear to us, that place is now empty. And Mary and Martha are grieving that. And Jesus' words, especially here, are meant to address that difficulty. Lazarus will rise again, but Jesus is with us always. Which brings me back to the question that I raised to you when I began this sermon this morning. Why the question of timing? Why does Jesus delay? Why doesn't Jesus just go right away? Why does he wait two days to leave and four days to go to the grave? At the beginning of this section and the end, there are two powerful indications why that would be the case. When Jesus explains to his disciples near the beginning of chapter 11 why Jesus delays, he tells his disciples that he is delaying because he wants them to see the glory of God. At the end of this section, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, he returns to that idea. They had seen the glory of God. This is a parallel in many ways to chapter 9. Where the question is raised about the blind man who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus' answer is wrong question. There are plenty of places that address how sin comes into the world and all the terrible effects of sin. But that's not what I'm addressing here. Here I want you to see that this man was born blind so that you could see the glory of Christ as I heal him. I want you to see the power that I possess as I heal a man 
who for his entire life could not see. Chapter 11, listen to this, raises our expectations of Jesus. If you hear nothing else that I tell you this morning, I want you to hear that. As the gospel of John progresses, the gospel writer is gradually raising our expectations of who Jesus is. Jesus can heal a man who is always blind. Amazing. Chapter 11, you want to see something? Jesus can raise someone who is dead. Jesus has the power not only to open eyes, he has the power to raise those who are dead. Imagine incredible, unbelievable, divine. There is no one like him. No one. And in those moments in your life where you're wondering, what is God doing? Why is there this pause? In the moment when I'm crying out to the Lord, heal my wife. Please, why are you waiting, Lord? How could this possibly be good? Heal her, please. In whatever way your soul cries out, why the delay, Lord? Chapter 11 helps. It is to glorify the power of Jesus Christ And for us to see, even if it is in a mysterious way, the incredible attractiveness of Jesus and his divinity. Someday the world's going to see that. You know that? The Bible says that that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of his name. May that come soon. But until that day, you know how Jesus is demonstrating his power? Certainly is through his word. But the lived experience, what most people will see about the power of Jesus Christ at work, comes through the life of the people of God. It comes as people observe the incredible glory of our Savior Jesus as expressed in the lives of his people. And that might mean that you have to wait two days or four days or maybe even many more days for that power to be shown. Maybe it will take until the time of your death and the resurrection in order for the power of Jesus to be fully seen. Or it may be that what the Lord is doing is exactly what he was doing in chapter 11 of John in your life. And that is there is a pause in the timing of what the Lord is doing to bring greatest glory to our Savior Jesus. I want to note just one thing before I close this morning. Maybe that hits you as cruel. Maybe I wasn't supposed to say that, but I will. Maybe the delay in the Lord's coming strikes you as incredibly cruel. If the Lord really loved me, why does he wait? 
Let me reorient that a moment. Instead of thinking of that as cruel, that your life is filled with cruelty, let me suggest to you that if Jesus Christ is in the process of glorifying himself in your life, even through this delay, that your life, instead of being a life of cruelty, is actually a life in which there is ultimate meaning. Because our Savior is doing something in your life that no one else could do. And he is using you for the purpose of exalting his son in a way that is incredible, amazing, and makes your life way more than simply about you. Jesus intends to raise our expectations about him this morning. May that be true. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as the one who is called to pray on behalf of your people this morning for us to pray together, I would confess my own disappointment often in the delay that I see in your work. I want you to work, and I want you to work now. I want you to work in the life of my wife. I want you to work in the life of many others that I see. We're asking for your healing and for your help. And yet you delay. Thank you for this promise that says, in the end, everything is made right. Even though we die, we shall live. But thank you even more for that second promise, that we shall never die. That is, you are constantly with us. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. But you're using us for a purpose beyond what we could even imagine. Lord, give us contentment in that. That we would say with your people throughout history, it is not me, but Christ who lives in me that I seek to exalt. Whatever is in our hearts that rebels against that, and we confess, Lord, that there are places because we're looking for things to be in the way that we desire. They may be good desires. We repent of that, Lord. It may be one of our deepest sins that we desire for things to be according to our own will. Instead, we ask that you would give us a humble and joyful and an expectant reliance upon our Savior Jesus. Grant us that, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me in singing?
amen. May that be true for every person who's here. After the service is finished, just a reminder that choir is meeting. There also will be a couple of elders here in the front to pray with you if you'd like to pray about anything that's going on in your life, whether it's something that struck you during the sermon or you've got something else going on, please come up here. There are brothers who would love to pray with you. After the service is finished, there are Sunday school classes for the children. Please make use of those. If you're not aware, aware of where to go, where to go, I'll be at the back door. Now receive this blessing from your God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with every one of you. Go in peace. Amen.